Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a new topic or trend so you can stay informed the easy way. So Rena, what are we talking about this week? I have been reading Leslie Kearns' Gentrification is Inevitable and Other Lies. I do want to say at the beginning, it really bugs me that I say her name Leslie Kern because it's can, which means seed in German, but I, she's Canadian, so I guess it's pronounced Kern. She has previously written another book called The Feminist City, which I also loved and read, and I highly recommend everyone read it. She's a very good writer. And this book is all about her looking into how we tell the story of gentrification and how we sort of spun this myth of what gentrification is, why it happens, and that is just inevitable. And this book is her picking that apart, and it's amazing. So the myth, as I understand it, is a city is poor, the artists move there, creates a cultural scene, then other people want to go there because it's cool, and so like the businesses and richer people move in. Then the people who were originally there, also the poorer people and the minorities and the artists kind of get pushed out. Yes. Is that the story that she's trying to pick apart or did I miss something? That is part of the story that she is trying to pick apart. So she breaks this book into a bunch of different chapters. So there are seven chapters in total that deal with the different aspects of gentrification. And then the first chapter is like talking about what is gentrification. And the last one is like a conclusion, you know, the huge. And so their chapters are gentrification is natural. Gentrification is about taste. Gentrification is about class. Gentrification is about physical displacement. Gentrification is a metaphor and gentrification is inevitable. What is gentrification? Should we start there? Absolutely. Let's start about gentrification. So I learned from this book where the word gentrification comes from, it comes from the word gentry. It's about when the gentry moves in to an area and make it better, so to say. Actually, the term gentrification was coined in London and specifically in Islington. So I can just read from the book. She's talking about how she used to live in Islington. So I had no idea Islington was once an overcrowded, unsanitary and poverty stricken zone. In the mid-19th century, many poor residents of inner London were displaced by massive public work projects like the construction of the London underground system. Pushed north, they crowded into small flats inside of Islington's once fashionable bourgeoisie homes. By the mid-20th century, it was one of the several areas considered deeply blighted by urban poverty. The destruction wrought by the enemy bombing in the Second World War meant that the large areas of damaged terrace housing could be replaced by council housing estates, offering some improvement in living conditions. Towards the 1960s, however, the remaining Georgian homes, somewhat run down but solid enough to have survived the war, were gradually attracting middle-class residents. London-based sociologist Ruth Glass noticed this slow influx of middle-income families moving into shabby, modest mews and cottages. The families gradually renovated and restored the rotting terraces through sweat equity, their own physical labor. Over time, the homes rose remarkably in value. In 1964, Glass coined the term gentrification to describe this economic and demographic change. The word itself signals what she considers the most important aspect of the process, class change. The gentry was steadily remaking the neighborhood in their own image to match their own taste and preference. So this woman, Ruth Glass, coined this term in 1964. A lot of the things that she talks about in this book 
are, for example, the myth that you talked about that at the beginning, right, that the artists come in and then all the people follow. One of the things that she talks about is how class ties into gentrification, how cultural capital ties into gentrification, how sexism ties into gentrification, and how oftentimes women are at the receiving end of all the shit when it comes to gentrification. More specifically, women of color, single mothers, the poorest people and ethnic minorities. That's really interesting because I was reading this excellent book called English in Berlin or English in Berlin. It's like in two languages, one in English, one in German. It's by the German Afghanistani artist Moshtari Hilal and Sintajan Varataraja, who is Tamil and also obviously German. And actually what's really interesting about this book is, first of all, it started off as an Instagram live conversation that they then just, well, not just, that they then formatted as a book for a kind of different audience and gave a kind of longer life to. But I find that super interesting. So actually they were talking about this exact thing about how like, okay, so English is spoken in some of the most gentrified neighborhoods. So that is, you know, right now, Neukölln and Friedrichshain, Kreuzberg and Mitte and Prenzlauer, I guess, like all of those really trendy places. However, what's quite funny about some of these places, like Wedding is the poorest district or Neukölln and all of this, it's interesting that English is accepted as a language where people can live in parallel societies in these areas. However, for people of color or the poorer people who actually do not even speak English. For example, in Neukölln, uh, the second language would be something else. It would might maybe be Arabic or Turkish. And in much of Berlin, there are all these other languages like Polish and Russian that are way more inclusive than English because a lot more people sort of speak them in a way. That is not accepted. Like you can't walk into a shop or a cafe and the person there is just speaking Polish to you, for example. They have to speak German. Whereas you can walk into a shop or a cafe and the waitress is like, hey, I don't speak German. It's kind of interesting, like you were saying, so the people who are of color and from poorer backgrounds are most disadvantaged by this because, for example, also it excludes them, right? So, for example, when you look at the Berlin website, the official Berlin City website, it's in German or in English, where that doesn't really actually make any sense. No, Especially considering that the largest ethnic minority group in Germany are Turkish. Yeah, and like they noticed this thing during the pandemic, like even chemists or, you know, corona regulations and things like this, they were either communicated in German or in English, which was really sad and also left a lot of people out and was just not the most practical thing to do. And what they were saying is this is signaling of Berlin of saying that they're international and contemporary by the use of English everywhere is tied to capital and cultural capital is what they're saying is we're diverse. But what they want is they want like people who speak English. It's not like broken English. The people who you hear speaking English in Berlin are either native speakers or they have this sort of international English standard, right? So they've, they're well educated. So even if they come from cities like Cairo, for example, they are from the elite in Cairo. So they are still part of a kind of global elite that can afford to have that standard of English and that great education and all of this kind of stuff. And Berlin is trying to attract startups and a certain type of people and portray a certain type of image. And that image is exclusionary and pushes out the people who have been here forever. 
So these two are the children of immigrants, so they're first generation Germans. And this is really interesting because I never thought about this as a person coming from London, but they were saying, well, a lot of cultural institutions like universities or art galleries and bookshops, like all the bookshops we go to, like She Said and Savvy Contemporary and stuff like that, they invite artists or academics from English-speaking ones from other countries to signal that they are sort of, you know, diverse and inclusive and like liberal and progressive. This is done to the detriment of actually the first generation of people who live in Germany. And of course, the people, so when I come from London, I do the thing where I compare London and Berlin and I'm, and I'm putting like my experience of race and diversity and cities and culture and all of that from my particular experience onto the German experience. So these people who are taking up space in cultural spaces, who are talking about racism and all of this sort of stuff, they are completely missing the German context because first of all, they didn't grow up here. Second of all, they're doing the English. So they miss a lot of the nuances and this affects the dialogue. And also, it also absolves a lot of these institutions of the difficulties of addressing their own structural problems, since they're importing the discussions from elsewhere. So if we talk about Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, everyone will turn out for that and all the protests You know, a lot of our arguments, and we do this too on this podcast, actually, are influenced by Anglo news. And although, of course, there's a basic sort of overarching structure of white supremacy, I guess, the contexts are totally different. Because like my generation in in England, if I come from Indian parents, that comes from a history of colonialism. Then there's like migration that's happened over many more decades than, you know, the people who are writing this book, who didn't have that the same journeys and developments and histories and things like that so you can't actually like compare it and also like there's a lot of funding that goes into places like savvy contemporary which i don't know what that is oh it's this gallery in uh wedding quite interesting because uh in this book the oh yeah he writes to them yeah, yeah. he calls them out <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. Sintergen actually calls them out for like putting all their stuff in english and it didn't occur to them that they were not helping the area and that, which is a mostly Turkish area, like you say. And they weren't a progressive force in this area. In fact, they were an exclusionary force. So Leslie Kern talks a lot about this in her book, where she talks about how people who are artists don't take into consideration that their cultural capital makes them complicit in gentrification. And because they are, you know, they're not upper class or they don't have certain amount of privileges they feel absolved from gentrification when in fact they are part of the problem of gentrification. Savvy Contemporary are a perfect example for this, right? You're coming in as an artist, you have certain cultural value, but you're actually contributing to gentrification mm-hmm. without realizing it. It's totally elitist and classist. Like even our taxpayers' money that goes into, for example, spaces like Savvy Contemporary for example, in Berlin, in terms of like Tigrinya literature and film funding in Berlin, even though Tigrinya speaking people from Eritrea make up one of the largest groups of the silent seekers in the last decade, there's no like money going into this kind of stuff. There is money going into more English speaking events and things like that. So Leslie Kern also goes on to say that on top of cultural capital, also taste is an important factor in these situations. 
So when you have artists coming into an area, not only do they signal change, but also because they represent good taste. You know what I mean? Like, mm. oh, they're artists, they're creative, they're coming in and they're making spaces more beautiful. So, for example, with them come cultural events that signal a changing in the area. So I remember when I was living in London, I had a friend of mine who's participating in this project of all white people, art school white people, who were going on onto like council estates and planting flowers. Mm. And in a very hilarious twist of fate, I was working on a project and I met this young man from London. He was talking about how on the council estate that he grew up in, one day he saw a group of young, yuppie white runners run through and he was like taken aback. He was like, you're not supposed to feel safe in our council estate. The fact that they felt safe enough to run through this area signal to him a change and he's like actually we've intentionally kept this area looking uninviting for your taste and mm -hmm. so i was thinking this contrast of her going there to plant flowers and them intentionally keeping an area in such a way that the white privileged taste mm -hmm. finds it distasteful mm -hmm. to keep them out so this idea of artists and tastes because obviously, like, there are legitimate artists who are poor and don't have money. You know, I'm not trying to shit on them. But even if they're poor and don't have money, they come from the middle classes. Not really many people decide to become artists if they come from first generation crap, right? They go into a practical thing. Yeah. <laughs> so they're obviously raised with a certain amount of taste and cultural capital. And when I say taste, I mean what the middle class finds tasteful. And they bring that into the area. So they plant flowers, they make things look pretty to their liking. Mm. There's sort of another issue here because I think a lot of times people think that people who live in neighborhoods that have been neglected don't want pretty things. People might legitimately want to live in nicer areas. They don't want to live in crumbling buildings. But oftentimes gentrification and making things nice go hand in hand because these are underdeveloped areas in the sense of like there's no money being invested in it and if people invest money in it it's to redevelop it and make it more expensive because it's cheap land you see what i mean mm. so people aren't investing in community projects they're investing in cultural events that bring in artists from the outside if they invest in building new buildings then they'll make big, shiny new buildings like we see in Neukölln. You see it in Neukölln right now. If you go to Bodenstraße, you'll see all of these new buildings being built next to these crumbling old houses, you know? It's like there's no money being invested in repairing the homes of the people that already live mm. there because that doesn't bring any money. That's not a good investment. Instead, these new buildings are being built that can be then be leased out or rented or sold for a lot of money. And that signifies gentrification in the area. And you'll have you know, things like she said, other cultural events in the area that are actually not furthering the existing community, but instead bringing in artists and different cultural people from outside. One of the things that she talks about in this book that I thought was incredibly interesting is she is dissects the language we use to talk about urban revitalization mm -hmm. and development. And she says when she analyzes a lot of the words and terms and proposals used, people talk about cities as if they were alive. 
mm-hmm. and they describe poor neighborhoods as illnesses. Mm. And it sort of furthers this narrative that you need to get rid of this. This is something bad. You need to cut it out. Ah, that's interesting. That parallels sort of the talk about uh, in language terms, linguistically about immigrants and stuff. Often they're seen in terms of like viruses. Yeah, it's very intentional language to be like, this is a problem we have to solve, and this is a natural problem we have to solve. Because you're saying that this language isn't used intentionally so that you can make the process of gentrifying an area seem natural. Because you're saying, ah, well, yeah, it's it's a living thing. It changes and it grows. And if you have a tumor, you cut it out. And so this is how city planners and people justify gentrification as a normal process. This is just part of the cycle of the city without interrogating. Actually, it's not. Yeah, it doesn't have to follow that. It's not a destiny. It's not a destiny, no. And it's not pre-prescribed. She offers things like, we need to change the way we talk about gentrification. We need to change the way we talk about who is the gentrifier. And we need to alter the ideas we have of what causes gentrification. So, because I I think we see this in Neukölln a lot right now. Mm -hmm. Kreuzberg Neukölln. You know how many people I know in this city who moved down to Kreuzberg Neukölln who are young, you know, they're from other cities. It's like... Yeah, you're a photographer. I'm so sorry. I'm not throwing shade at any of my friends. I all love you so much. Do you are all your friends photographers? Yes, I know. I know like so many photographers. photographers. How? I love all of you. But how many people do you meet who are, you know, white middle class people from outside of Germany who, Berlin even, not just Germany, sorry, who are white middle class people from outside of Berlin who move down to neighborhoods like Neukölln or Kreuzberg who come here to study art or who are working as photographers or musicians who live in apartments in what used to be solely Turkish neighborhoods. And then I think fail to really fail to see the connection between their presence there and the changes in the neighborhood because they're like, well, I'm not a millionaire. I'm like, yes, but you still come with so much privilege and cultural capital that you are directly, just by your presence, affecting the changes in this neighborhood. Cultural capital is a really interesting thing because in this book, they talked about basically the club lobby, which has been going since the 2000s. And it was really active, obviously, during the pandemic. And clubs in Berlin were declared cultural institutions. And that's because basically Bergheim somehow made it onto the Ellen DeGeneres show and, you know, got features in The Guardian and all this. So Berlin as a conscious PR move and Berlin does have PR, you know, even poor but sexy is part of Berlin PR. Of course. Um, yeah, like promoted this. And therefore, it was rare that any clubs sort of disappeared from the map because of the pandemic. But you know what did disappear? the smaller individual businesses without any lobbies at all to fight for their interests. And a lot of those shops, you know, the Spertis, the uh, little bakeries, the hairdressers and the older cafes and stuff like that, the speciality like restaurants, that a lot of them were actually owned by ethnic minorities because that's how they got their economic and working freedom by setting up their own little business as well. They, because they didn't have that that cultural voice and lobby mm-hmm. and didn't fit in to what Berlin wanted, did go bust. Yeah, because it's in Berlin's interest to keep it club culture alive because the clubs bring in the type of people you want because who is wealthy enough who is privileged enough to move from New Zealand to Germany just to you know live out their club 
fantasy. And also the idea of the word like cosmopolitan, because everyone says like Berlin is a cosmopolitan city. But this idea of cosmopolitanism is like a lot of people do come here and they live out their thing for like two years or three years and then they move on. Whereas if you're a refugee or something, a whole different yeah situation, right? And one is like Berlin is a playground. Yes. And it was interesting that like Sintagen comes from like a Tamil family. And he said even his parents now, they don't like it when he speaks Tamil in public because they're kind of scared that like someone's going to be like, oh, you're in Germany, speak German. And so that's why they're all kind of shocked at like just the brazenness which with which people can like live in this city actually for two years, three years, even longer, sometimes eight years. I know people who've lived here for a long time who don't speak German at all. Whereas when you're an immigrant, you have that sort of panic and that fear and that absolute, it's an absolute survival necessity that you have to learn German. I have had conversations with people, white, middle-class people from New Zealand, who have proudly told me to my face that they have no intention of learning German because they don't need to in Berlin. And they're right, they don't, and that's privilege as well. But they are living in a parallel society, and nobody's going on about this on Anneville, like where all the politicians and commenters come on to talk about the problems of integration in German society, you know what I mean? Yes, because they're racist. And classist. And classist, yeah. And also elitist, and like you said, it's a lot to do with culture. And also the difference between, like, they brought up this great Instagram account that I really love, it's called Berliner Auslander Memes. But there are a lot of memes that are about, you know, the fear of going to the Auslander Behörde. But like, that is one experience, of course, for like these type of people who are here from New Zealand or Australia or the US who are here as creative freelancers and have privilege. And then there's a whole other, like when we talk about fear, it's ignoring the experience of a significant amount of people who also fall into Auslander categories who might be sent back to war zones and tortured and killed if they don't get through their appointment at the Auslanderbehörde, you know? Which is the basically the bureaucratic office for people who are foreign in Berlin so they can get their visas and stuff like that. It's also a weird conflation of being an expat and being an Ausländer because I think that the word Ausländer has a connotation of being an immigrant or being a refugee. And it's a negative thing. It's a negative thing. And they're kind of putting this title upon themselves. Yes, you might not be German, but you still have a significant amount of privileges that other Ausländer don't. So really, I mean, it comes back to this differentiation between who is an immigrant and who is an expat, right? It's the same thing. Yeah, and it's this difference between like people who have passports from the global north they can just come here and then apply for a freelance creative visa and stuff and they're totally able to do that whereas if you come from Afghanistan total you just can't do that like impossible you can't travel around in this cosmopolitan way I don't mean to be shitting on New Zealand so much, sorry. But no, <laughs> Choose if, a different country. If you're, no, no, but if you're from New Zealand, New Zealand and Germany have a deal. You can get your visa upon arrival. Mm. Like, why do you need to be leaving Wellington and coming here? You know what I mean? Like, you're coming to the city, you're taking up all housing from already a city that doesn't have a lot of housing. You can stay in New Zealand. You have enough money. You don't need to come here. There's people who are coming here who need housing 
Berlin already has a housing problem and the city is not addressing it in the correct way. So rather than moving to Berlin to live out your creative freedom, maybe you should think about the implications that you moving here has, because you know what? There are people who did not come here because, you know, they have enough money and enough privilege. They came here out of need and all, you know, Berlin marketing itself as this like creative cosmopolitan city is to their detriment. One of the great takeaways that I have from Leslie Kern's book is that gentrification really is not inevitable. Anyway, on that note, here are three things you can do this week to be a better person. Thing one, when spending your money, think twice about what neighborhood you are in and where you're spending your money. If you're in Kreuzberg and you're going into the gentrification cafe, Think twice about who you're giving your money to and maybe give it to a local business that is not set up by privileged white people. There is no such cafe called the Gentrification Cafe in Kreuzberg. There is the Refugium Cafe, which is run by refugees. So that's a good one. Go there. Thing two, read English in Berlin by Moshtari Hilal and Sintajun Varataraja. It's available in all of the the typical English-speaking bookshops that contribute to gentrification, such as Do You Read Me in Berlin? And thing three, learn German. Be mindful of the fact that not everyone speaks English and be aware of your surroundings. And English is a language of privilege and at the end of the day, a colonial language. We say as we do a podcast in English. That's true. We are part of the problem. We are part of the problem. On that note, I think for us, we should probably address more German issues from a German point of view, because in this book, they did say like, how many of us, just because of the way media works, know way more about what's happening in the Supreme Court in the US than what is happening like in Poland, which is our neighbor, for example. It's just how we get news and what news we get. And a lot of that has to do with language. And so I guess we should be mindful of always doing a balance between, of course, connecting things globally and having a global solidarity, but also trying to understand and engage in really local contexts that we are living in. Yes. So you're going to be hearing a lot about how I hate Francisca Giffey, the Berlin mayor. (laughs) Until next week. Goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.